Welcome back to another episode of Summoner's Corner. I'm your host, Will. I am joined every week by my co-host, Josh. How's it going? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Another week of LCS in the books. Uh, We're halfway through. Yeah, uh, it kind of feels shorter with only having a six-week regular season. Yeah, uh, I don't recall if Summer Split is also reduced, but I know uh, one of the big reasons that Spring Split is only the six weeks is because of the lock-in tournament that they had to start off, obviously, with teams playing every day, whereas before we'd see teams getting days off. It's a lot more condensed, so already halfway through, and the standings are looking interesting. Some things as expected, some things I think not expected at all. Yeah, for sure. What's the biggest surprise for you? I definitely have one in mind. I think Dignitas for me. So for me, it's TL being in the sixth spot right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's pretty surprising as well. But I, I feel like Dignitas's success overall is more surprising to me than TL struggling a bit. Let's get right into this episode. So do you want to... Uh, let's start off with a little controversy that that sparked up. Yeah, this was a uh, uh, spicy takes week uh, for all the LCS teams. So the big topic of discussion this week was import slots in NA. Do we have too few, too many? A lot of LCS owners want to see the current import rule done away with, which is the two-thirds rule. So as it stands right now, two-thirds of your team has to be made up of NA resident players. That's players from NA. Uh, it's been appended this year, so that, that also includes Oceanic players. But two-thirds have to be from NA regions specifically. Yeah, uh, this was a thing that was enacted. I mean, it, it's been a thing technically forever, right? But it really didn't become prevalent until uh, well a few years ago. So... This actually used to be known as like the LMQ rule, because if you remember many seasons ago, there was a team from China that came over and th this was when promotion relegation was a thing. Right. And so, so like a tier two China team just came over and was like, okay, we're just going to play through promotion tournament and stomp. Because, I totally forgot like, about like, that. And a tier two teams, right? <laughs> and so they they came over, they stomped, they got into LCS, and they were like a top two, to, uh, maybe like a top three, top four LCS team. Yeah, but so that's obviously problematic. And, and you know, we we've seen that even going farther back. We've seen CLG EU just compete in OGN before as well. So that's that's very clearly been a problem, and it's been sort of. Uh, Something that Riot's looked to discourage, like like just region hopping for for org benefit without really benefiting the league at all. Uh, and, and really, it's something that is widely agreed upon to be unacceptable in most pro-traditional sports. You know, like you have region-locked leagues, for example, like uh, European hockey leagues or, or like uh, soccer which I don't know a whole bunch about, so I'm not going to touch on too much. But but I knew I know they do have regional teams and uh, yeah, 
things like that there as well. And so really the main argument here is, uh, uh, as you said, the the owners want to do away with the import slots or, or at least make it so you can have more imports. And it, it I, I mean, some of the players aren't happy. <laughs> and I think rightly so. What's your take? Yeah, so I, I think this year especially, we're really seeing the investment in NA talent kind of come to the forefront with players like Demonte, a Blaze Olive, a Vulcan, who's been very vocal about this issue. They're really having a breakout year and being put in a position to lead and carry teams. And I, I think that they have really valid points because as an any viewer and, and fan of the game, I don't want to see any talent uh, bumped from their jobs. Yeah. I, th- I think that's like a, a very fair sort sort of take on it. But at the same time, uh, in terms of regional strength, we are much weaker, right? Uh, we're behind sure. China. Yep. We're, we're behind Europe. I'm, I mean, really, the European teams look way stronger than North American teams. Yeah, it's interesting because I find in some tournaments, NA will just slap Europe. But then anytime it comes to Worlds... Uh, Europe tends to always have far more success than we do at, at on the world stage. Yeah. Now, I, I've seen arguments about an influx of foreign players uh, positively impacting solo queue, positively... Like, like, injecting talent makes everyone sort of rise together, right? Uh, so if, say, a hundred... Still not a fan of the rise pick. <laughs> so say, like, a hundred... Korean players come over and they're all like D1 plus Korea and they come over here and, and, and they start like like smurfing on the diamond plus level players. Uh, those players have to get better or they just get bumped down to like D3, D4, right? Uh, so yeah. so harder competition breeds better talent it is like the general theory. But then, you know, th- there was this whole shit storm on Twitter with uh, Vulcan and Reggie where they were both trying to raise points in less than eloquent ways. Uh, and it basically came down to, like, uh, if these players come over for NA, the regular NA talent, like, like Vulcan, for example, they get bumped and are making minimum, which can be taken as minimum wage or, you know, minimum LCS pay, depending on how you look at that. Well, and that's where the big controversy and uh, memes on Twitter sprouted from, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I give these guys props for for uh, trying to advocate for what they believe in. I think that maybe a little more consideration into what being said, what's being said, is uh, appropriate here, yeah. especially for heads of companies. I think may, maybe some PR should be involved there. <laughs> but you know, that's one of the wonderful things about esports is nothing's really filtered and. The audience has access to everything foolish or not. Yeah, for sure. So I I, I think one of my big things with this is, uh, as you said, the what sparked this was kind of really between Reggie and Vulcan. And uh, like Reggie took a shot at Vulcan. And I don't really get him taking a shot like at, at, at Vulcan specifically, because I think Vulcan is arguably one of the best NA talents 
in the region right now. I, I feel like if anyone would be able to maintain a high paycheck, it would be him, <laughs> right? Uh, I think the thing you're not taking into consideration is someone had an opinion and Reginald didn't agree with it. Yeah, you've got a point there. <laughs> and You know, given Reginald's history, it's yeah. just a given, right? He, he, he's always been known for that very loud uh, sort of forceful personality. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, it just, it, it threw me off that it was, it was Vulcan. Uh, and obviously it was Vulcan, the one being very vocal on the other side. So obviously that's who you're going to uh, respond to directly, right? But uh, I, I don't know. I just found it kind of funny that he made that comment like specifically to Vulcan when, in my opinion, I think Vulcan would be one of the people to maintain a high contract <laughs> if uh, if import slots were to open up. One thing in sort of in, in closing overall for, for this topic is that I hope this doesn't create a rift between orgs and players because many, many players came out in opposition of this uh, this sort of d desire for a, a rules change where all the orgs, all 10 of the orgs came out and said they were in favor of this. Yeah, and... I don't know. I, I find that a very interesting divide. I understand the player side. I I'm not sure if I fully understand the other side, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, it, it yeah, it, it would just make for stronger teams. That's the thing. And, and some of the big arguments were like, okay, well, China and Korea, right? They play on each other's servers. They share players uh, much more so than North America with other regions. Maybe not in combination, but if, if you look at the players from China and Korea and how they intermingle on teams, it, it there is quite a high rate there. Yeah, but again, it's just kind of the, the other side is you're potentially shutting out NA talent and removing NA talent from NA. <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, what, if any, changes there will be, uh, how the player association sort of interacts with uh, the, the stakeholders in this, stakeholders being uh, the team owners and Riot. All right, so let's move in to some actual gameplay and some actual uh, things that we saw from this week of the LCS. Yeah, big change-ups coming in this week. Uh, shift in the meta, finally. So we're moving away from global comps. I, for one, am torn. What do you think about this? Well, I just think it's interesting because as far as I'm aware, there wasn't any huge uh, nerfs or anything to these global champs overall. Like, I, I suppose it's just the jungle changes, but the, the jungle changes are not affecting... Uh, the meta as I expected because I, I thought it would affect what jungle champions are played and it has a little bit but for the most part I think we're still seeing a lot of priority on the same junglers that we saw before. Udyr is still getting pretty much perma banned. Olaf is getting like perma banned pick. Nidalee is still like really high priority. Graves still seems to be a fairly high priority overall. Lilia. Uh, a couple like yeah Lilia as well thank you. Uh, a couple like breakthrough champs that we've been seeing now is uh, Hecarim, which I know you're excited about. Yep. 
Love seeing Demon Pony on the Rift finally. He's getting a lot more priority and to mix success, I feel. Some people are doing really well on it, others not so much. Uh, and the other two champs that are, are breaking through, we saw a few Skarner games. This has always been, I guess not always, but in in recent years, I think it's always been a fringe meta pick almost because when you're against a Skarner, it forces you to pay the Skarner tax. So like that in itself will give Skarner's team like a bit of a gold advantage. But once you pay the Skarner tax... Skarner's kind of useless, so it's this interesting divide there. And then a couple other champions that we saw come out a few times, which we didn't see really, was the Rek'Sai, uh, but that's mostly from Blabber. I'm not too hot on this pick from what I've seen so far. And then the other one is the Kane, which uh, the, that's kind of the other side where really the only guy we've seen pick this up is Dardock. Well, we've seen Dardock pick up basically all the chance. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he hasn't played one twice yet so we'll see how long he can keep that up uh he has actually he broke his streak this week he played kane twice oh did he, he did. okay so unfortunately the dardock streak is over uh up until now he was playing a different champion every single game he has 11 different champs played under his belt now uh which is insane unfortunately we don't get to see that continue <laughs> Two, two varying levels of yeah, success. Yeah, uh, I mean, overall, Dignitas has been succeeding. Dardoch has definitely had mixed success throughout these games, and we're, we're going to get into Dignitas a, a bit more overall. Yeah, interesting changes, though, because like you said, we're, we're just seeing not as much focus on on the globals. And I, I guess as part of that, uh, the Talia seems to be falling a little bit out of the meta. She still saw some bans. Uh, I don't recall if she got any picks this week i don't recall seeing one at all but there there might have been one or two but yeah with, with globals overall falling out she seems to be in that boat as well uh, let, let's jump in to uh i believe it was actually the very first yeah it was the first game of the weekend c9 versus clg now c9 come out with the win but it wasn't nearly as as dominant of a game as most would expect, I think. CLG really took it to C9. Um, I, CLG played pretty well through this game overall, I think. Yeah, so I don't think this was C9 making a ton of mistakes. I think it was CLG playing well. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and when you have a last place versus a first place game, this isn't what you expect to see. Not at all. You, you expect for... C9 to have to make huge, massive, discernible mistakes in order for CLG to have a chance and for CLG to play well. And in this case, I think it was just CLG playing fights really well to to an extent. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like potentially part of the reason that we've seen this is Broxa is playing with them now. It was his first match on CLG. He looked good overall, I think. I feel like it was a typical Broxa game though i'm not super high on this guy overall i think he's very low risk low reward <laughs> i i feel like he doesn't take risks ever really he very much just kind of power farms and if it's like a guaranteed kill he'll go for a gank 
but otherwise he's content to just sit in jungle and not really affect the game at all, which I think is really good for certain teams, but I feel like it's not a winning strategy most of the time, especially with the overall meta right now being very jungle focused. I, I do have to say, and, and this is a little uh, uh, to, to a side point, it is funny looking at the player cams, especially when they're off-site. Obviously, they're playing from remote uh, setups right now. But it, it's funny because if you look at the rest of CLG, it looks like a bunch of teenagers. And then Broxa is just this like large-chested, <laughs> muscular European man. And it look it looks like a father playing with his four freaking children. So yeah. it's just pay pay attention to the player cams. It's hilarious. Yeah, I, I'm looking at that now. It really does. And <laughs> I feel like his new haircut doesn't help that either. Because <laughs> he he's got his hair styled like differently than we saw last season. And I, I feel like the way that he has it, uh, at least through through this first game, it really does make him look like a dad. <laughs> But overall with this game, I think we saw, um, surprisingly, really good play from Turtle. Yeah. Overall. He was like their main carry, and he was the reason that they were winning fights. And I truly think that CLG had an opportunity to win this game. It was around the 36-minute mark. CLG was storming Cloud9's base. It starts off at the 35-minute mark in the game. Finn has a pretty nice TP into Cloud9's jungle. Cloud9, like, start to respond to it. Fudge and Blabber are right there. Perks is not too far behind. But Blabber just dies. <laughs> like, and, and this is why I'm not a big fan of this Rek'Sai pick so far. This champion can do an insane amount of damage. But if he doesn't get a pick, like, if he doesn't have a nice flank or isn't set up to go in, he just instantly dies. And so so that's what starts off this play from CLG. Finn TPs in, gets the kill on Blabber. Blabber has the Guardian Angel, so he revives, but has to pretty much just immediately take a tunnel out to survive. Meanwhile, on the other side of the fight, Perks and Fudge are just dying to Turtle, Smoothie, and RJS. And then the rest of CLG is able to turn. Yeah, and this is super crazy because Perks was insanely farmed this game. Uh, he, at, at this at this point, he's approaching 400 CS from side lane pushing. Yeah, it was ridiculous, his CS per minute. So I think this is a number of things. I think this is partially Fudge kind of failing to frontline properly. And, and I think it's also Blabber playing a mixed role. Be, because Rek'Sai either wants to go in and get the pick, or wants to sort of play defense a little bit and, and peel for the rest of the team. And I, I don't think he was really committing to one or the other. And that kind of left C9 in a weird spot in most team fights. Yeah, well, and you, you look at his build, and it, I think overall it is more built to jump on the backlight and get the assassination. He's got the Prowler's Claw. He's got the Edge of Night, which gives you the Spell Shield, but also Lethality. And then he's got the Guardian Angel. So overall, he's trying to be safe. But, again, like I said, we see Finn just TP and pretty much instantly kill him. Blabber doesn't even really do much damage to Finn at all off of that play. And this leads to a 4v5 in the favor of CLG. CLG just starts running into the base. Cloud9 has to start channeling recalls because 
they're behind CLG right now in their jungle while CLG is pushing into the base. And here's the big thing for me. So you have you have Finn on Aatrox who has maybe a third of his HP left. He's pretty low. Smoothie is on Rel, who's on maybe an eighth of his HP. He's super low. But you have Turtle, who is super fed right now. Just insanely strong. He's been doing like all of the damage in these fights. You have Brox on Lilia, who's at like a quarter HP. Uh, and RJS, who's almost at full HP. Turtle is, is hasn't been touched at all at this point. And in this 4v5, where Cloud9's realistically highest damage member in this super-fed perks on Rise is dead, I think all CLG needs to do is just have Finn, Smoothie, RJS, and Broxa just stand in front. Just stand in front of Wild Turtle. Make sure that Wild Turtle doesn't get hit at all. It doesn't matter if you guys die, because in the time that it takes for them to die, Turtle is just going to destroy their base or kill the rest of Cloud9, and then they win the game. But instead, you see... The rest of CLG reluctant to move forward, and I I understand you don't have a lot of health. But Turtle is eight three and four, at level seventeen, on Zaya, who is like one of the best late game hyper carry ADCs. Just step forward, just take that damage for for Turtle, so that he can kill the rest of Cloud Nine, and you guys win. But instead, they step back. Turtle is in the front, which I mean. When you see your front line not frontlining, you probably shouldn't be in the front. <laughs> so I, I feel like I do kind of have to put a little blame on Turtle here. But I think if CLG just steps forward, they can just end the game here. I, I agree. I will also say that is just Turtle kind of being stubborn and thinking he can outdamage three members at once under a tower. It's Turtle. For sure. He he has a history of this, right? This is his aggressive yeah. play style, uh, in quotes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I have notes on uh, Wild Turtle-esque plays later. But yeah, Turtle just dies. Sven on Kaisa is able to just ult into the back and get two kills. Takes out RGS and Smoothie. And then Blabber and Vulcan are able to push the rest of CLG out of the base. And it leads to C9 winning the game. And C9 actually, like, I think played this end fight very well. Fudge went in, got the initial initiation on Wild Turtle, letting the rest of the team kill him off but it's just I, I i really can't help feeling like clg could have won this game and it's even as a c9 fan it's kind of frustrating seeing them lose this because seeing a huge upset like this where you have a one in five team going up against a five and one team like it, it's so cool to see that lower tier team get the win and they had the opportunity and just kind of threw it away and uh yeah one of one of my main points here is i really do think that the main reason that cloud nine didn't lose this game earlier is just because of perks he was insane on this rise farming up and still not a fan of this pick <laughs> but holy crap did he outfarm rjs at the 36 minute mark it's 381 to 242 and to your point it wasn't just a matter of out farming it was a matter of out pressuring and, and this is something yeah. that really kept them in it. I mean, he got so many towers solo. He basically just wiped out the oh, entire yeah. bot side of the map into the CLG base. His split pushing was pretty integral to them staying up in golds because they were up in gold through most of this game. But yeah, he had a he had a seven thousand gold lead over RJS. Cloud Nine as a whole only had a three k gold lead 
at the 36 minute mark. <laughs> like that's insane. That's such a huge difference. Yeah. So I think overall, oh, also, I, I just want to take a moment as an aside to credit Finn. Finn really had a standout performance this game. He had a, a winning matchup, I think, uh, Aatrox into Gragas, because Gragas is just sort of going to sit there and tank all the damage. It's not really, you know, you're not really looking to fight too much in lane or anything. But but as as far as impact and fights, this guy was popping off this game. He got to that Aatrox build point where you're just sort of an unkillable god creating a, a zone in 200 units around you. Uh, where everyone's just afraid to get constantly knocked up and CC to death. And he, he really did provide a ton of value in team fights. He he was one of the players this game really keeping CLG in it for as long as he did uh, alongside Wild Turtle. Yeah, I, I think he was um, a big reason that they were able to transition into the mid to late game. And then that allowed Wild Turtle to really take off and, and dominate in these fights. Uh, let's move forward, though. So our next game. Dig versus Fly. As we said last week, we both really wanted to make sure that we covered a Dignitas game. They've looked great. I mean, they went 3-0 last week. They went 2-1 this week, only dropping a game to the first place team in Cloud9. And they looked just really strong overall, I think. Yep. Yeah, uh, there, there are still some inaccuracies in their strategy. Still some things that could be improved upon. For sure. And it would also be nice to see some players, you know, looking at Dardock, maybe fall into a more repetitive pattern with some go-to jungle picks as opposed to just blindly pointing at the screen <laughs> and, and hoping you don't get the same champ. Yeah, and and that's kind of one of the notes that I have on Dignitas overall is like everyone is hyping up Dardock. You, you listen to a lot of their post-game interviews, and the, the casters talk about it a, a lot as well. This Dignitas team is built around Dardock being the main carry, which I find is really interesting. I mean, aside from him, aside from him and Afro, I should say, you've got a bunch of really young players here. So it makes sense that you want to put the carry onus on one of your veterans, because I think they're able to handle that more <laughs> than if you throw a rookie in like fake god or saligo and say you're a guy good luck <laughs> but i think overall just this team as a whole has actually looked really strong i've been really impressed with fake god and saligo i think both have looked really really solid and overall <laughs> i feel kind of bad for aframu because i feel like ever since he lost double lift he's kind of been on just this rookie babysitting duty <laughs> i i don't think he's really had a year where he hasn't played with a, a rookie or like a second year player at most. But overall, he's, despite being on rookie babysitting duty, I think he's looked really good this season as well. And even Neo, I think, has had flashes where he's looked really good. Uh, overall, we're still seeing a lot of mistakes from him and poor positioning. Overall, hopefully that gets cleaned up in the second half of the season. But yeah, just overall, I've been really impressed with Dignitas's lineup as a whole. Yeah, Go, going back to Twitter for a second, uh, Reggie was also uh, noting this about Dignitas's roster and crediting Dignitas's management for doing so much with so much less in terms of stake in the players. 
Uh, you know, it's no secret this year that there were some massive acquisitions in the offseason. Sword Art being reported for $6 million to TSM. Perks for... How, how much is Perks worth this year? I think it was 15 mil. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah. Reggie was basically saying, like, like this is this roster is one-fourth the cost of any of the top rosters in LCS, and yet they are second place right now. Yeah, it's been really, really impressive what they've been able to do with a very cheap roster compared to some of the other ones that we're seeing this season. Uh, on the flip side, we have been trying to keep an eye on Jose Diotto, and I, I think in this game, his aggression really turned into a detriment for his team. We saw this at level one. His team went for this really, really weird off-the-wall late Hecarim invade into Wraiths, of all things. And, like, Hecarim level one is just not good. Like, like what you do at level one with your Q is, like, walk into them and Q in a circle. And if you walk into... And he doesn't even have Flash either. Yeah, and if you walk into five players level one, you just die, man. Like, yeah. like you're and a melee minion. To be fair, I doubt that they were expecting all five players from Dignitas to be there. Uh, but it's clear that Dig did their research and, and saw this coming because instantly they were all positioned right around Raptors, ready to respond to that attempted steal. Yeah, and credit to Dig for that uh, fast reaction time, for sure. Uh, but yeah, we see Afro able to... Uh, I think he flashed... And then got the pulverize for a two-man knockup, which was really clean. Uh, and Jose Diodo not having flash, just dies. Fake God picks up first blood. Yep. And he has to burn TP to get back up to lane. But realistically, uh, I think overall still a positive for Dignitas here. Oh, for sure. I would always trade my summoners for a first blood. This 400 gold level one is huge. One thing I'll credit Fly for, though, is that no one did waste summoners in that fight. I think as soon as they saw five people there, they realized, like, someone's dying. There's nothing we can do about this. Don't bother wasting summoners. Just let it happen. So good on them, especially considering they have yeah. some younger players on this roster. Because I feel like in scenarios like this, younger players especially will get antsy with those summoners and use them to try and get out. So I... I, I think i have to give them a little credit there for not wasting anything but overall a bad play i think like you said hecarim is just not good level one and, and, and this was a pattern too because later in the game so so dignitas goes up quite a bit in this game uh flyquest gets an early three to one lead i believe yeah flyquest was proactive coming off of this yeah so they give up first blood in in that sort of blunder then they go up three to one and then dignitas comes back quite heavily uh they're they're getting the neutrals they're pushing the towers uh and i believe dignitas is barren up at this point and jose diodo goes for this sort of just big flank speed boost uh engage in their jungle and like Okay, so there's two sides to this. So on one side, you're looking at it and you're going, wow, they're behind and they're still trying to make plays. That's great. 
But at the same time, this play is so desperate looking and so low percentage when you when you look at success rate. It just does not look like a good play. And I think this is that sort of untempered aggression we've touched on in previous weeks still coming out and still really uh, handicapping their chances at any sort of a comeback fight. Yeah, and although Fly is able to go up three to one, Dignitas was really strong through the mid game. Soligo, like 17 minutes, Soligo on the Azir is three zero and four. Fake God on Nar is three zero and three, and that's one of the big notes that I have on this. Actually, Fake God had some huge ultimates on this Nar. He looked so good on it, and I think he was one of the really big reasons that Dignitas had so much success through the mid game. He had some insane plays. Yeah, those ults were were excellent. They they got three plus members every time. Huge damage, huge CC, really enabling his team and empowering his team. To, to follow up and, and these are the players that you don't normally look at when you read this roster too right fate god soligo everyone's looking at dardock and afro like like you were saying before so seeing these players really step up and be empowered to step up uh bodes well for them going forwards definitely and uh, like especially with this game dardock is on jarvan jarvan did not look good at all this game. He was not able to do anything. Honestly, it reminded me of watching the Rek'Sai games from Blabber, where he goes in, does some damage, but then he just instantly dies. Do you think this is a result of the jungle nerfs? No, I don't think so. I don't I don't think the jungle nerfs were actually that impactful. I was watching I Will Dominate stream, uh, or like co-stream of some of these games, and you're still hitting six at the same amount of clear like the the same amount of camps you still hit six so the experience is not that much of a difference and like your first full clear you're only losing 40 gold and i feel like if anything the changes have actually made i I guess like it kind of the the jarvan pick specifically is probably a, a bit of a result of the jungle changes because i think it's made these fast clearing junglers even stronger interesting interesting take because i i think the faster you're able to get out and actually like clear your camps and uh have have them respawn with that like higher uh experience yield is more of a benefit and uh, jarvin is not a fast clearing jungler by any means he has a fairly healthy clear and stuff because he's got the banner, which gives him the attack speed and extra defensive stats and stuff. But when you compare it to even a Hecarim, Hecarim has a way faster clear than Jarvan. Uh, yeah, so I would classify Jarvan as more of a ganker just because of the EQ uh, knockup into slow combo. For sure. Uh, so, so he would outshine Hecarim with ganking. But in this game in particular, he did not look good ganking lanes. Dardoch just no. did not look good. Yeah. Uh, he went for a play mid, and rather than like flash EQ, which is extremely hard to dodge, he just walked up into range and EQ'd. And the opposing well, laner walked away from it. I, I think he did get a flash there, but if he had have like been more proactive 
and actually like burned the flash early to catch uh palafox like further up in the lane because by the time he actually eq'd onto him palafox was pretty much at his tower i think if he had have been more proactive and flashed earlier when palafox was more towards the middle of the lane it could have resulted in more but yeah he just kind of sat on flash didn't use it at all there uh still burned a flash which is good but then we don't really see him do anything with it after that so i don't know i I don't like the jarvan pick <laughs> yeah and, and i mean like you cannot like it but there's no real sense complaining because next game he's just gonna play something different anyways did you have any more notes on this game no i think i because honestly i I, I think it was really just like top and mid diff. Aframu had some really clean plays. Neo had a few misplays through this game, but overall ended with, with a great score. He was like 4-1-8 and eight or something like that to end the game. 6-1-16 uh, and 16 <laughs> actually to end the game. So although he had some misplays, he still like picked it up and played really well. 4-0-11 for Fate God on Nar. 8-1-8 for Saligo on the Azir. With a quadra kill at the end. Yeah, yeah, an Afro two two seventeen on the Alistar, obviously one of his signature champs. Uh, Dardoch wasn't awful, I will say. He was two three and seventeen. It just he didn't look as strong as he has on other picks. He felt like a role player, not a carry, and I think that's okay when you're empowering other players. As this game, he clearly was, but I think going forward, it's something to keep an eye on. So moving in to some more matches on that day one. In the next game, you have Team Liquid against Golden Guardians. TL comes out with the win. Uh, TSM versus EG. TSM gets the win there. And then the last game on that day was 100 Thieves versus Immortals, with 100 Thieves coming out on top. And then getting into the Saturday games, the first one that I wanted to touch on really quick is the C9 versus Dig game. C9 gets the win, but Dardoch ends his A through Z jungle picks, playing Kane for the second time. Uh, it was something that he played last week, so doubling up on picks. Realistically, I think it's good. I mean, they ended up losing this game, but I don't think it was really because of Kane specifically. I think Cloud9 just outplayed them overall. But Now, do you think this was intentional? Do, do you think he actually intended to pick the same champion twice? Or has it just gotten to the point where he's played he so forgets. many he can't he can't <laughs> remember? Like the list is too long. He's like, guys, guys, I only have twenty seconds in champ select and I can't read through all these names of the different junglers <laughs> I've played. Dude, just like help me maybe I'll just press the random button and like ultimate bravery this game. I, I think the cane was a decision he made uh, blue cane actually looks really good in the cloud nines team here having lilia tristana ash and lulu those are all really juicy targets for a blue cane to pop it didn't work very well for him he ends up getting picked off a couple times i think my main note with this game though is we really get to see that cloud nine really just paid 15 million for a second adc because perks plays the tristana here again and looks incredible he had probably one of the best Tristana performances that I have seen in recent history. And I think Wild Turtle would be really jealous and envious of the way that Perks was able to play because, I mean, at one point, he, he won V3s. It was Dardoch, Neo, and Aphromu, I believe, were all collapsing on him. And Perks just turns, kills Dardoch, and jumps out. <laughs> which was insane. And he, he did have Blabber coming in behind, which I think is why... 
Neo and Afro didn't pursue him past that. But just an insane big dick play coming out of Perks there. Something that we would see out of Turtle, uh, minus the escape. And the other really big play that I actually really enjoyed from Dignitas this game is Salico was on the Twisted Fate with Spellbook. And he actually manages, at one point later in the game, Cloud9 is on Baron. He manages to alt into the Baron pit and steal it with Spellbook Smite. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's a combination of so many things that have to go, like, just perfectly. Having TF all, having it up, being able to swap to Smite just before. that. Th- those plays are so low percentage, but so hype when they happen. It was so fun to see. Uh, again, even like being a Cloud9 fan and having it stolen from them. I mean, Cloud9 did kind of just win off that because they got the kill on Saligo and then just pushed base. But it was still such a hype play. That was so fun to see. And like, I feel like I can't even really blame Blabber or anything for that because who's going to expect a TF to alt in and have Smite? Like, you, you can't... I, I feel like that's not even in your thought process when you're going for Baron. You're thinking like... How do we deal with Dardock potentially getting in? I feel like Dardock actually might have been dead during that play. So I don't even think they were like concerned about a steal at all. He had full faith in his mid laner. No need to go. Yeah, and uh, just a great play from Tignitas. I-, I was really happy to see that. Overall, I think this was like jungle mid diff though. Blabber had a really good game, 5-1 and 6 on the Lilia. And then like I said, Perks just popped off uh 14 2 and 3 for the perks on this tristana just a massive performance for him uh c9 winning with almost a 10k gold lead a pretty dominant win for them overall uh and dardock wasn't awful i mean he was 4 4 and 1 on this cane like i said i actually think this was a pretty solid pick into cloud9's team yeah cane uh, being more of an assassin as well and really it's hard to play an assassin into a cohesive team one of my notes for C9 this week in particular was if you look at them in the CLG game, it looks like one sort of, uh, if you've ever played StarCraft, have you ever played StarCraft? No, but I've played Command & Conquer, which is another RTS. So if it's an RTS reference, I might get oh. it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you know how you macro units yeah. together and then move them like yeah. as a group? That's how C9 looked in all their fights. Yeah. Like, like if you draw a circle around their team in a fight, the circle never gets bigger. They're always within the same proximity of each other. Like, it's it's insane to watch. Yeah. And, and they, they, they sort of take that, and it just looks like there's one player controlling it. Yeah, it's definitely clear that this team works very well together. Like, e- even with two new players coming onto the roster, with, with Perks and Fudge, right? Luckily, Perks has experience playing with Sven from their uh, G2 days. But uh, it's good to see that there wasn't really any issues with the transition into a newer roster. Yeah, and, and that just makes it so difficult for assassins in general, right? Like, I, I think looking at playing into C9, if, if I were a coach and, you know, armchair coach, take it with a grain of salt, but I, I would almost always try to pick something that bolsters my team in team fights rather than goes to take out a C9 member because it's so hard to do. You just have to play so perfectly to get yep. that pick. Yeah. So moving on, next game of the day was CLG versus Immortals. Immortals pick up the win. And then the next game that we're going to touch on a little bit is the TSM versus 100 Thieves game, where TSM 
come out on top. Yeah, so I picked this one for a couple of reasons. Uh, first one being TSM is again showing that trend of strength. They've been building on this basically since the preseason tournament, uh, the lock-in stages. They looked so weak, and every week, steadily, we've seen great, great improvement from them. They're they're sitting tied for second place right now with Dignitas and 100 Thieves. And this game, really, it didn't look like they should be tied with 100 Thieves. Do, do you think? It, yeah, it, it was. this game was very one-sided. Yeah, so... I... There's a couple things in draft here for 100 Thieves. I honestly think that they kind of just got outdrafted here. Although she is a fast clearing skirmish jungler, I don't think the Nidalee is really that strong right now. I think she needs like quite a bit of support to be good. She, I think, kind of falls into the same thing as Talia, where you need CC from your laners to be able to actually like hit your key abilities, with, with Nidalee obviously being the spear. It's even for a pro player, spear is really hard to land, especially when you're against other pro players, right? Like they are actually looking and have fast fingers and can react to things. And like what CC does he have to follow up on? You have Someday, who has nothing. You have Demonte, who has a honestly pretty hard to land stun with the E, and it can also like reposition the mid laner, so you have to account for that. So it's not actually that easy to follow up on, in my opinion. And then you have like Senna Snare, which is also a hard uh, skill shot to land because it travels so slow. So overall, I kind of feel like TSM just outdrafted 100 Thieves here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this Jace pick either for someday. Yeah, it felt like 100 Thieves was trying to go full poke almost, right? Cinder, yeah. Nidalee, and Jace all being really good at landing that sort of long range harass with their abilities. Uh, and Plus Senna when it reaches late game as well. Well, it, and so this is the other thing. They also drafted the Senna Kench lane, which we've touched on many times. It's very safe, very stable, and Senna is a menace late game uh, with her extended range. But if you look over on the side of TSM, one, uh, something we've seen evolve is sort of the bot lane counter pick to that, right? So in previous weeks, we've seen strictly Blitzcrank. We see Kench. We see Blitzcrank. And now teams are feeling more comfortable and more empowered to sort of just pick whatever they want into this uh, because they don't feel it's as much of a threat in the inside the lane phase. And then the other thing is Hecarim and Victor. So TSM is picking up late game carries that scale, Victor and Kaisa in this case, and also Hard Engage in Rel and Hecarim. So late game scaling is what TSM is good at, and... Hard engage is what you need to go in on a poke comp. Yeah, and I think uh, like the big issue with poke comps that we see time and time again is if they don't get ahead early, they don't do anything. Yeah, and, and they fell behind, and that just showcased very much so in this game why you don't take poke comps. Because if you fall behind, you're, you are just useless for the rest of the game. Uh, th this was another case of DeMonte on a non-TF champ. I really like the way he impacts the map when he can roam. He couldn't this game, and his team was hurting because of it. Uh, so I'd really like to see him... You know, it, it, it's not bad to have him build on these champs and get experience on these champs, like the Syndra and the Ori, right? He, he looked good on, on the Ori 
in the uh, Golden Guardians game. Yeah. Yeah, he had some really massive vaults, which, which we will be talking about. But I, I don't think that uh, it's as standout or as carry potential as, as his Rome performances. For sure, I, I think the main two champs that we've seen him play that he's found like the most success on is obviously the TF, and then we saw him pick up set a couple times, and he looked really good on that as well. But obviously, that's uh, much more of a fringe pocket pick sort of thing. It's not actually like meta right now. <laughs> Which is too bad because I really do enjoy that diverse style where teams can switch up what roles different players play in different positions, right? Because the mid you get more gold, so you're more empowered as a character to play uh, to impact the game. You know, set gets tankier, gets more damage, and then you have like AP coming out from the jungle or something. I think we'll be less likely to see that with Talia nerfs. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think because of the Talia nerfs, we saw a lot more priority on Lilia overall. And she looked really good through this week overall. Uh, she wasn't played in this game, but just kind of a side note there. Yeah, we basically just have like a mounted cavalry coming out of the jungle right now and, and in support. We, we've got Rel, Hecarim, and Lilia all seeing play. I, as like very high priority champs, I one of my notes actually is I think Rel might be just the strongest support right now the amount of cc that she's able to bring is ridiculous and i think another strength that people look over a lot and the reason that we see her picked into tom kench now is part of the reason that blitzcrank was she has a way to pop shields instantly with her q and i think there's actually like a decent amount of shield champs in the meta right now kaisa obviously super high priority when she ults uh she gets that shield you've got a lot of the senna tom kench both of which have shields and there's other champions as well in the meta right now that the Rel is able to punish because she's able to instantly break those. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also players are just figuring her out finally. I, I think one or two per level players, I think I think Core JJ and maybe one other that no one in particular is coming to mind. I think maybe Smoothie. smoothie. Yeah. yeah, Smoothie. But but they sort of figured out her intricacies as far as mounting and dismounting and how to really yeah. maximize her stun. And I think from that point, other players caught on, and that's why we're seeing her pick so heavily now. That That is just such a powerful, impactful ability from very, very early on in the game. Yeah, and the bind as well. There's a lot of combo potential there, I feel. And then obviously having her combo with Oriana is a very common pair for uh, mid lane support a really strong combo that we will talk about later as well with 100 thieves yeah i mean this game was just really dominant from tsm they looked really clean i think they won the draft and then kind of one game from there obviously like they played well as well uh, i don't want to take anything away from them but i f the reason I'm, I'm pointing out draft is i feel like we've seen bjergsen kind of struggle with drafting at times i think he's gotten out drafted a lot early on which i think is part of the reason that they were losing as well but it seems like he's finding his stride in that coaching role and figuring out the meta more and just getting more comfortable with drafting which is good to see for sure and i think this is this game in particular i wanted to talk less about the gameplay and more so just about positive and negative trends we see with these teams you know we are halfway through and certain teams are on the upswing and other teams are sort of faltering a bit, and I think this game's a good example of that. Uh, and I think some of it's experience showing through. I think some of it is people in new roles like Bjergsen finding their footing. And, and we'll, we'll have to see going forward. You know, maybe we check back in on, on this particular matchup in two weeks and compare these teams again going into the final week. 
Yeah, th this is a matchup that I like seeing, though, the TSM versus 100 Thieves. Most of these, I think, are uh, really good teams, but I f feel like kind of for different reasons. Like, 100 Thieves has the s really solid coaching staff, and it's a team that uh, has been together for a while now, so they're really comfortable with each other, and I think their comms are really tight. Whereas TSM, I think, has, like, a lot of high potential with their laners overall. Like individual talents? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, not necessarily like more than 100 Thieves, but I think their ceiling is probably higher overall just with player skill. But I feel like they're missing the coaching and comms right now, it feels like. I, I feel like their communication isn't quite as tight. And like I said, I think Bjergsen overall has struggled a bit in the first couple weeks, or at least lock-in and week one. I think he struggled a lot with draft and lost a lot of drafts overall, in my opinion. But we're seeing that come together now, which is good. And I think that's why TSM has found so much success overall uh, in the past two weeks now. Yeah, definitely an encouraging trend. And we'll have to keep an eye going forward. All right. So I, uh, there's a, one more game for the Saturday that I want to touch on really quick, which is Team Liquid versus Evil Genius. And we actually see Evil Genius coming out with the win here. So one really interesting thing that stood out right away for me here was Elfari took Omnistone on Camille and I feel like overall he was actually able to make like some really interesting plays having that. Uh, I think it looked good. It was just strange seeing that. So yeah, I, I think the Omnistone was really interesting because we actually saw Elfari able to make some interesting plays getting Predator on his boots and just getting that speed boost, being able to just run into the enemy team on the Camille. It was an interesting pick. And I think this game really shows Impact's just mental <laughs> overall because he got camped so hard early on he was 0-3 uh, I think at one point he was actually like 0-4 TL was punishing him and Elfari on Camille was 2-0-2 but despite getting camped I think Impact was like one of the big reasons that EG was able to come back and win this game he was on the NAR and had some huge ultimates uh, I mean similar to Fate God in the previous game that we were talking about just able to turn fights, uh, he was really huge for them. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is NAR. It's a really unique position where half the time you're a damage threat and the other half you're a CC tank. And, and so I, I think it really does speak to like the vulnerabilities and the strengths and how it sort of goes with an ebb and a flow. But, but Impact definitely uh, showing perseverance there and coming back to... 6, 6, and 10 by the end of the game. Yeah, it, it was very impressive just seeing him get shut down so much early game, but still able to have a huge impact overall. Uh, and then our last game for that, the Saturday, was FlyQuest versus Golden Guardians. FlyQuest coming out on top. Uh, and then on the last day, started off with Dignitas versus TSM. Yeah, you had some comments on this one. I really have one main note. You know, we talked about Dignitas's budget roster earlier, and I think we can see where that money's going because apparently they were able to pay off Spica twice in a row. He just doesn't smite an objective. It started with uh, Baron. TSM start off Baron. I, I got to say, too, Spica was on Olaf, so he should never lose a smite fight because you have practically two smites on Olaf. But <laughs> Dardoch, uh, I think he was on Skarner this game. Yeah, so, so Dardoch on Skarner just runs up and smites it <laughs> and steals it and then i'm pretty sure it was like right after this play dragon is spawning i think tsm 
ended up getting a pick on someone on Dignitas, so they felt strong enough to just walk over and take the dragon instead. But the exact same thing happens where Darduk just walks in and smites it away. Yeah, that really is inexcusable. This is one of those things with the augmented smite where you're uh, many times tempted to use it in team fights. Uh, but a lot of times it's better to just keep it for the neutrals. Yeah, well, and I mean, like, it, it has two charges for a reason, right? Yeah, for sure. But re- really, overall, it is just inexcusable at the pro level from Spica, uh, both because... As- especially when you have a double smite. You should never lose a smite fight as, uh, like, Olaf, Nunu, uh, even Kha'Zix, I feel, is a champion that should never really lose a smite fight. Yeah, absolutely. But he does, twice, back-to-back. Man, it hurt watching this game. And you know, it's funny because just last week... Doublelift was really, really, really hyping Spica on his co-stream, saying like, oh, it's okay, Ming's got this, Ming never misses a smite and stuff. Yeah, this game, he looked like crap. I'm sorry, like, how do you lose two smites in a row when you're on a champion that should never lose a smite? That really is inexcusable uh, at the pro level. That was really all I had on this game, though. Just really frustrating watching this. I, I don't understand what happened there really hope that we never see this again <laughs> i will also just point out really quick i really didn't like corky in the mid lane like, like tsm was going for that sort of double support comp again and i i just corky really seems weak and i really want to see power of evil stick to uh better scaling champions like like a victor or like an azir when it's available obviously it was picked away this game i 100 percent agree let's move on though Second game on the day was Immortals versus FlyQuest, with Immortals getting the win. And then we have 100 Thieves versus Golden Guardians. And somehow, Golden Guardians get the win. And oh my god, was this a game. Yeah, a long, drawn-out, endless... And more so, this game was already an hour, and it had two pauses in it. This game was ridiculously long. Yeah, it was, in my opinion, a pretty boring game overall like there was not a lot of kills for how long it went (laughs) the final kill score was actually 16 to 16 yeah this one i actually did find myself dozing off while watching oh man it was it was very slow i i didn't i i caught the end of this game live actually and was blown away by what i saw but when i when i watched this over again to make my notes i watched at double speed because there was just nothing happening for a lot of it I have some notes overall, though. So coming out of draft, my my very first thought is that 100 Thieves should just stomp this bot lane. Because 100 Thieves pick up Kaisa and Rel, which are arguably like the best bot lane champs in the meta right now. I think the only ones contending them are the Senna Tom Kench, because of the scaling capability there. But as far as just like pure fighting goes, I think this is probably the strongest bot lane we have at the moment with Kaisa and Rel. And on the other side, Golden Guardians picks up Sivir and Janna. Both of these champions we've only seen once so far this season, and both were in the lock-in tournament. The Sivir we saw come out from Zven on Cloud9, and he looked really good on it, but keep in mind that's the best ADC in North America, and arguably, I I mean currently according to the standings, the best team in North America. And then you have Janna, which I believe the last time we saw played was also out of Golden Guardians, and it did nothing. It did not look good at all. And, I mean, Golden Guardians come out with the win, but I was not a fan of this pick whatsoever. So, I see why they picked it. 
However, I don't like it into this team either, just because of the Olaf in particular. Janna is for resetting fights, right? So in, in this particular case, what they want to do is go in and then have Janna reset fights and then have Trist clean up. It's sort of a three-part thing. And for one, I think that's too complicated for a team at Golden Guardians level. And secondly, right, it, it, it should just lose very hard in lane. Yeah. In terms of pressure. Yeah. But but yeah, overall, this this was a really boring game. And also, I had to call out Damonte really quick because level one, he walks up, throws his Q out, yep. and gets chunked down to half health by Tristan. We've seen this for three weeks now, people. You're a pro player in LCS. Come on. Yeah, my, my main note here is apparently Damonte didn't watch the EG game where Jizuke almost died level into Trist because he does the exact same thing. He just walks up. And uh, level one, all of your fighting is auto attacks. Like you have one ability that can throw that you can throw out, and then from there it's just autos. The thing with Tristana is the first ability that she takes pretty much every game is an ability that empowers your auto attacks. <laughs> like you're never winning that trade. And uh, like you said, we're seeing time and time again mid laners just not understanding that. It seems and it's insane from pro play. I mean, we we talked about how this game was almost an hour long. It was 56 minutes and 20 seconds. But to give you a better idea of how long this lasted, Golden Guardians took four Barons, and there were three Elders taken this game. Golden Guardians getting two of them, Hunter Thieves getting one of them. And I mean, in most games that we see, either Soul or the first Elder Dragon is what seals the game away, right? Yeah, and the first Baron is usually like such a big break into the base that the the lead obtained from that is just insurmountable at that point and it, it's just sort of like a crushing finish by whatever team and i i think the reason this game went so long and the reason hundred thieves were able to survive so long is two reasons really we're halfway through the season now i think i can confidently say golden guardians is one of the worst teams in nalcs right now you know they've got some guys that can have pop-off performances at times and can play well but Overall, they are just one of the worst teams that we have at the moment. And it showed because I like they had mistakes. They did not play this game perfectly by any means. <laughs> I mean, early on, I think uh, a Blaze Olive was doing his best wild turtle impression. It almost seemed like he was like, oh, Tristan is in the meta now. I need to research ADCs and just watched a bunch of wild turtle footage and nothing else because there were like three or four different times where he just like jumped in on two or three hundred thieves members and just died and uh, like that's not that's not what you're supposed to do but then also from the side of hundred thieves who he and demonte i mean there's synergy here it, it really shows that these guys have been playing together for uh longer than just the split because they had massive ultimates to save the game many times who he obviously on the rel would jump alt in and then Demonte would just put the ball on him and press R and it was really really well executed overall I mean Demonte was 5-1-8 and eight. yeah he had a couple whiffs this game but overall this game gave me hope for him on a control mage player again though I, I think I mean when it when it takes you four barons dragon soul and two elders to close out the game I think that shows that your your team needs some improvement. It should not you, you should not need that many resources 
to close out a game. So that shows the disparity between those two teams. And also, I think that the the Jana pick was fine for these engages, but the execution was awful. Because how Rel and Ori can just jump in for free like that is so far beyond me. Like, you have to get caught sleeping so hard to not tornado them halfway through or not ult them away and and, and, and create that space for a reset. I, I, uh, and, and that really, like you said, prolonged the game of what the engage tools are coming out of Golden Guardians this game. Yeah, and like I don't want to take anything away from Hundred Thieves with being able to prolong this because they they played it very well. They won fights when it mattered the most, which, when it comes down to it, is the most important thing. But obviously, being ten k down for most of the game, losing every single Baron, four of them, and getting two Elder Dragons to one, like it's such an uphill battle that I'm. It. it I mean, it's disappointing that Hundred Thieves lost to golden guardians in the first place but they did what they could in the late game and i'm happy to see that it wasn't like when tl gets behind where they just fold like they they clearly knew they they know how to play from behind which is really good yeah i i think in the long term they'll be able to pick up maybe one to three victories off of playing this style of game where they fall behind early through either bad play or no fault of their own you know depending on what the matchups are like but to be decisive and to have and use the engage tools properly, I think those are really important core concepts that not all top teams have grasped yet. And I think that this really will give them an edge in the long run, uh, despite losing this game. And really, they lost this game to minion pressure at the end. You know, They weren't able to contest all the neutrals because they had supers crawling all over the base the entire time. The rest of the games for that, day you have tl versus cloud nine despite tl's record they're still a titan in north america they had some dumb losses overall i think i would be astonished to see them struggle or like continue to struggle through the second half of the split they might drop one or two more games i think but it it is very surprising seeing them in sixth place on the standings but it shows that they are still a very good team getting a win against cloud nine the top team as far as the rankings go. Yeah, I think that part of it was TL just kind of finally getting figured out where a lot of the focus and pressure was put on Core JJ in the bot lane to sort of disable his roam potential early on and delay that as long as possible. But I, I think like other teams adapted, TL is now also adapting. I, I think their coaching staff is great. I've always been a fan of Jat. He's also said in previous weeks that they have been experimenting with different comps and, and not to really worry too much and, and individually uh, it does show that a lot of these players are very talented so I, i'm really not too too worried but i think the next one to two weeks will be very telling depending on how, how their record either improves or, or stays the same going forward yeah for sure and then the very last game of the weekend was evil geniuses versus counter logic gaming Evil Geniuses picking up the win here. And before we close off the episode, Jizuke. Jizuke, my friends, you were looking so good to start this season. I thought that we were over with the dying to towers and inting 1v5. But my man, <laughs> uh, I think it was in the, the TSM game on the Friday. Twice he dies to tower. 
for really no reason. The one play he tried to dive, I think it was a Zoe, he was on Lucian, gets her down to really low health, starts the ultimate, and Zoe stopwatches. And he's already fairly deep under tower and takes three shots and gets executed. This is just uh, another thing where it's like the basics not being followed. It's really frustrating to see at the pro level in these in these big games where these players are being paid so much to play and, and perform at such a high level. It, it's just, you know, you want to see dives, you want to see hyphy plays, but you want to see them executed right and, and diving and dying just to tower damage it is none of those things yeah i actually saw a clip of double lifts co-stream and oh dear i bet he had some words he, he needs to be a little careful with what he says because i know uh dom has gotten in trouble before for shitting on na but he a after seeing that first tower dive he like minimized the window and was looking and was like oh my god guys look there's like sixty thousand people watching right now this is a record for academy yeah, not Jizuke, you got to pick it up, man. You're uh you're on a potential top team for North America with Evil Geniuses. Like you guys have looked so good. You specifically Jizuke looked so good through lock-in and like the first couple weeks. But holy crap, dude, you can't go back to doing shit like this cuz uh, Josh, I know you didn't watch a ton last year, but he kind of he became famous for doing dumb shit like this. Seems like one of those like low floor high ceiling players but like you know that the ceiling is moderate but the floor is just like oh my god oh my god dude yeah that that can't keep happening that's really bad yeah it was really frustrating to see do you have any other notes on that game or, or was it just particularly jizuke nope just just had to shit on jizuke a little bit because that i mean honestly like that was one of the big reasons that E.G. lost that game. Well, it was just him inting early for really no reason. And having the knowledge that there's a stopwatch and stuff and yet still dying. And then the later play, he just like walks behind the tower, tries to dive again and dies and doesn't get the kill. It was really cringy to watch. Yeah, hopefully that's not a trend and that's sort of isolated to this one game going forward. Especially heading into towards the end of the season, you know, you really do expect to see the higher level play coming in in the last two to three weeks of the season overall. Let's close it off by just going over the standings really quickly. Uh, we've referenced them a few times, but coming out of the first half of the split, uh, some things as expected, other things not expected at all. I feel Cloud Nine number one at seven and two, and then in second you have a three-way tie: TSM, Dignitas and 100 Thieves are all 6-3. and three. Uh, TSM, we had talked about as kind of that fringe top-tier team where they are most likely going to be middle of the pack but could slip into, like, top three. And their performance the past couple weeks has solidified them that... Or not solidified, but tied them with that second spot. Uh, 100 Thieves, we expect to be pretty good. I mean, their roster looks strong. They had a fantastic lock-in tournament, so not super surprising seeing them at the top here. But Dignitas is the one that really stands out as far as this, uh, these top four teams go, right? Yeah, they do. And I don't know if I still really buy it as far as where they are in the standings. I would put them maybe in like a solid fourth or so. Like, like they have had good performances, but I really think that 
maybe some more consistency out of Dardock would put them in sort of the great performances range. You know what I mean? Where they're they're really competing. Yeah, uh, I agree. For that first spot. Because really, you, you expect someone in second to, at any given time, take a game off of first. And I don't know if I really see Dignitas doing that, do you? I mean, like, it would have to be Cloud9 making a lot of mistakes and Dignitas playing very well. Cloud9 is a really tough team to beat, as we've talked about, just with how tight-knit they are and everything. And it feels like Dignitas thrives on a bit more of a chaotic game. And you won't get that very often at all out of Cloud9. So, I yeah, I feel like fourth or fifth is realistically where I'll see Dignitas ending. Looking at it, like, I don't think they're better than Cloud9. Liquid is one of those teams that I'm really surprised to see them so low on the standings. I don't think they're a better team than Liquid by any means. And then I, I feel like it's kind of between, like, 100 Thieves we've seen struggle. It feels like a meta shift could screw them over with uh, some of their players right now. So, like, I, I think it's kind of between, like, TSM, Dignitas, 100 Thieves, and Evil Geniuses to round up the next few teams. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll definitely see a shift going in the last few weeks. I think we expect to see Liquid Climb and 100 Thieves and maybe Dignitas falter a little bit. I, I, I think those are my predictions right now. And then the bottom of the roster, uh, you know, you've got Immortals in 7th, FlyQuest in 8th, Golden Guardians in ninth and CLG bringing up the bottom. I think we'll see improvement out of CLG. I don't think it will push them past seventh place. I, I can see CLG picking up uh, another maybe two wins overall through the season, but I don't think it'll be enough to push them past like that eighth spot, really. And as for the other three teams, I don't think we'll see them fluctuate so much. Maybe fluctuate amongst where they are themselves, right? So 7th, 8th, and ninth, sort of switching positions. But I don't think they'll climb higher than any of these other teams. I think there's one team, in my opinion, that we might see break through and uh, find more success in the second half. And I think that team is Immortals. You know, they, they definitely have struggled at times, but I've been really impressed overall with this very new roster. I think Revenge is potentially one of the best top laners coming out of the first half of this split. And I, kn I know the team's record doesn't really reflect that, but you watch his games and this dude is really, really talented and he's a rookie. This is his first split in the LCS. So I think there's only up to go for him. And in interviews, uh, Reyes and Destiny have both talked about how, and obviously players will, will say things just to try and make themselves look better at times but reyes and destiny have both been very critical of themselves saying like we we are better than this we can do better than this and i i've been pretty happy with what i've seen from Zertzi, and i don't think insanity has been anything like crazy but i also don't think he's been bad so i feel like immortals could be a team that could uh sneak up into the higher rankings a little bit yeah we'll definitely have to keep an eye on them uh going into this second half i i think there is potential there for sure, uh, I, but I think it will also depend on how the other teams falter. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Summoner's Corner. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow me on the socials, I am on Facebook and Instagram at Will Rolling on Air and on Twitter at Will Rolling Live. I also stream sometimes on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the Mad Hatter. Josh, where can we find you? You can find me streaming on Twitch at Snapcaster13. Awesome. Thank you for listening and stay safe.